Pastor Leon and his wife Sheila founded Gospel Tabernacle Church in 1982 in the heart of Lawrence, South Carolina. Since then, the Lord has richly blessed and increased the ministry and family of Gospel Tabernacle Church. Here at Gospel Tabernacle, we believe in the power of the Word of God to change the hearts and lives of believers. Gospel Tabernacle is a family church ministering to the whole family through the charismatic teaching ministry. Today's message will grow your faith and draw you close to the Lord as you open your heart to God's Word and His Spirit. Amen. Give thanks. Amen. How many is thankful for our Lord and our Savior? Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord today? Oh, you're thankful for His goodness. Are you thankful that the Word of God is constantly and continually renewing your mind, which is transforming you into the same image, 2 Corinthians 3.18, of Him by the power of the Holy Spirit? What you are engaging in is a supernatural reality. And you thought you were just coming to church. What you're engaging in is a miraculous thing where you and I are constantly being transformed, changed into the image of His glory. How many are thankful for His glory? How many are thankful for His image? And that is imprinted and stamped on you. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're becoming more and more like Jesus. Who wants to be more and more like Jesus today? Amen. That's our prayer. Let's go ahead and make our confession. If you've got your Bible, let's declare this by faith, knowing that it is true because we believe it in our heart. And we speak it with our mouth. Say this with me. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. And I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess. My mind's alert. My heart's receptive. And I'll never be the same. I'm about to receive the indestructible, incorruptible, the ever-living seed, the Word of God. And I'll never be the same... Never, 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 in Jesus' name, if you believe it, shout amen. amen. If you doubly believe it, say, poor devil. Turn with me to James chapter 5, verse 16. Have a little devil and a big God, amen. Sometimes we magnify Satan far above his puny existence. The last time I looked in Scripture, he's far below the feet of Christ, and you're in the body of Christ, which means as a redeemed person, he's under your feet, Amen. Hallelujah. Well, turn with me to James chapter 5, verse 16. We're going to use as our main text, and then we're going to jump right over to Exodus 32. Two weeks ago, I had the privilege to minister on the ministry of intercession. I'm going to keep talking on it, uh, because when I did minister, like most anything, really probably everything in the Word of God, it is endless. Because the Word, your Bible, is living. It's living. And every time you engage God through His Word... The Holy Spirit, who is the master teacher, is opening up new truths to you. And so all we have to do is have eyes to see and ears to hear. Amen? James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another. Kind of going along with the giving scripture. In other words, if you've wronged somebody, you need to own up to it and say, Hey, I did this. I shouldn't have done it. Forgive me. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another. Someone say, pray for one another, that you may be healed. Notice this. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. 
Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another. That's what we're going on, the spirit of that command. I hope you understand this isn't a suggestion. Some people think all the commands of God are in the Old Testament. But there's 1,050-some-odd commands in the New Testament. Here's several of them. Confess your trespasses. That's a command, not a suggestion. Pray for one another. That's a command, not a suggestion, that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Notice this. That's where we want to be, that last statement of verse 16. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So think about that. There is a prayer that changes things, that changes people, that changes situations, that change families, change marriages, change children, change parents, change cities. There's a prayer that changes nations. And I'm just persuaded, very well persuaded, beyond all doubt, I'm extremely persuaded that when I see things going on, I understand that everyone has a free will. We're, as a, theologically, you might say, free moral agents. In other words, you got a choice and God gave you, gave it to you. But when there's things going awry, the first thing I'm going to do is say, Lord, something's wrong. Something's not operating according to your word. How am I missing it? Before, I will just use a big theological word or something that sounds really religious and essentially blame God. Well, you know, it's just his will, brother. Whatever he desires is going to take place. We can see all through Scripture there's many times where things that God did not desire takes place. It's very common sense. Anytime anybody ever sins, that's against God's will. We forgot to set our alarm. Someone fall asleep. Anytime anybody sins, it's against God's will. Amen? If it, were not God, if it were not against God's will, Jesus wouldn't have shed his precious blood on Calvary's hill. So there are many things that take place that are against God's will. Now, there are things that God has said, this will happen and it's going to happen. And man has the opportunity to work with God or be an enemy of God. How many is going to work with God in Jesus' name? So notice there's an effective, fervent prayer. Well, how can your prayer be effective? Well... Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5, and look at this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. How can your praying be effective? If we're going to pray for one another, what we call intercession, supplication, if we're going to stand in the gap for somebody else, if we're going to spend our time, our energy, our breath, our prayer, our praying on the behalf of other people, we want it to actually do some good, amen? I don't like just spinning my wheels. I want to actually get something done. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 says this, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him. You can be confident when you pray. In fact, you should be confident that when you go to God in prayer, that you've got an answer. Prayer is not just a religious exercise. I would argue this that the greatest form of prayer is to pray for other people and get an answer. Some might say, well, no, worship would be. Well, I was thinking about this, pondering on this. You know, the rocks and trees, they'll cry out and give God glory and worship if we don't. 
But no rocks and trees will co-labor with God to pray for His will in the earth. That is a privilege you have. Now notice this. Now this is the confidence we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His what? His will, what happens? He hears us. Well, the inverse is also true. If we ask anything against His will, He doesn't hear us. So the key to answered prayer is just getting God to hear you. Because notice what happens. If we pray according to His will, He hears us. Verse 15, And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions that we've asked of Him. So the key here to answered prayer is God hearing you. And He hears His will. He hears His will. Turn with me to John 15, verse 7. John 15, verse 7. All this is bonus. I didn't even have any of this written down. Praise the Lord. I won't even charge you for it. John 15, verse 7. John 15, verse 7. This is Jesus teaching. Chapters 14, 15, 16 all take place the night before Jesus is arrested. Chapter 14, 15, 16, really starting in the 13. It starts in 13 because they're eating. He washes their feet, and then he goes and he starts teaching. 13, 14, 15, 16. Chapter 17, Jesus prays for himself, for the immediate 12 disciples that are there, and then for everyone that will believe on him through the words of those apostles, you and me. So 2,000-some-odd years, Jesus started praying for you, John 17. John 15, verse 7, Jesus says this, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it will be done for you. Now notice this, verse 8. By this my Father is what? Answered prayer brings glory to God. Spending long time to never get an answer and have no confidence that God heard you is not glorifying to God. And it will break your spirit. You know, what is it the Proverbs tells us? That hope deferred breaks the soul. It hurts the heart. Something put off way out there. I can't, why can't I get this through? Notice this, by, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. You bear much fruit. Now, what is the fruit that God desires? Turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. James chapter 5. What is the fruit that God desires? James 5, verse 7. James chapter 5, verse 7. So we have it here that we can ask, we can have an effectual, fervent prayer life, meaning that when we pray, it can actually get an answer. And the key to getting an answer from God is Him hearing us. What does He hear? He hears His will. John 15, 7 shows us what His will is. His will is His Word. When His Word dwells in us and we dwell in Christ, we can ask what we desire and He'll give it. And it brings glory to God that we bear fruit. And what kind of fruit does the Lord desire? James chapter 5, verse 7. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently. For until it receives the early 
and latter rain. Anybody ever planted anything before? It doesn't grow overnight, does it? Though it does grow overnight, you just can't see it growing overnight. You've got to wait a little bit before it breaks through that soil. We planted several different things, and a lot of our stuff in our garden, our backyard garden, has kind of come to the end of its lifespan. Uh, you know, they, it's only going to produce for so, so long. And, and the fruit is still producing tomatoes, peppers, things like that, but they're getting a little bit smaller. Of course, it hit a little bit of a drier season. I, I wasn't watering as like I should. So. But nonetheless, when you plant a plant or you plant a seed, it takes a little bit. You've got to be patient to see something to come about. And the Bible's telling us here to be patient. You've got to have patience attached to your faith. You understand that we can receive an answer from God, but it may be just a little bit of time before we see it with our physical eyes. But we know the answer is ours because God's promised it and it's His will. And we've co-labored, we've connected our faith with God, and we know that if we abide in Him and His Word abides in us, whatever we ask, whatever we desire, we can ask of Him and He'll give it to us. We have a confidence that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if He hears us, we know that we have what we've asked of Him. And James chapter 5, verse 7 is showing us just like a farmer waits for precious fruit, the husbandman of the earth. Verse 8, notice this. You also be, a page, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. See, the Lord is returning. And He desires much fruit between now and His return. And fruit that He desires are people being saved. And there are two sides of a coin called soul winning. One is prayer. The other is preaching. Both are necessary. Romans chapter 10 tells us that unless someone hears, they can't believe. And how will anyone hear unless someone speaks? How will someone speak unless someone's sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good tidings to the lost? I see a church full of people with beautiful feet in Jesus' name. When you deliver the gospel to people, God says, wow, what beautiful feet that are carrying this gospel. And so when you bring saving knowledge to someone, soul winning, witnessing, sharing your testimony, one of the greatest examples, Mark chapter 5. You look at the demoniac man of the Gadarenes. When Jesus comes, there's this altercation or this interaction with this man who's possessed with many devils. You know, it's interesting when you hear different people teach on it. A legion of devils possessed the man. You know, he said, what's your name? Jesus is speaking to these devils. Legion. Can you imagine that? You know, who are you talking to, Jesus? Well, I'm talking to the devils inside the guy, not the guy at this moment. You hold on. I'm talking to this guy. I'm legion. Ah. You know, and legion, people will say it's somewhere between two to 6,000 devils. My first reaction is, one devil's too many. <laughs> you know, we can debate over whether there was 2,000 devils or 6,000 devils in this guy. Hey, one's too many for me. You know, <laughs> I don't care if, it is, if it's one small little demon. That's more than enough than I care for. <laughs> and so Jesus delivers this demoniac man. And the moment he gets delivered, he's in his right mind. I want you to know sometimes when you're looking out in this world and people are doing things and we say they are out of their mind, it is demonic influence, oppression, and sometimes possession. It is deception that deteriorates right thinking because the reality is even, some, even people who don't have faith in Jesus still have a little bit of common sense. 
But what has happened in these last days, there is a greater influence of demonic power. That's why you see things taking place that you would have never imagined taking place. And so anyway, he's in his right mind. He's clothed, but because before he was running around naked. You may be under demonic oppression if you like running around naked in public. Or you could be my three-year-old daughter. <laughs> Her favorite things to do. She says, I'm going to change me clothes. Change me clothes, Daddy. Problem is, she don't put no clothes back on after she takes the ones off she had. And I was instructing her yesterday. I said, you're not changing clothes, honey. You're just taking them off. You've got to replace them. The ones you have put off, you need to put on some more after that. Hey, so he's clothed. Somebody say clothed. Yeah, think about that. You might say, well, you know, well, there's, different, see, there's different types of styles and fashions. Absolutely sure. Things go in and out. Some things have went out that don't need to come back. When I was uh, getting my ID for high school in ninth grade, I had watched a concert of this guy playing, his guitar player, and he had, bo- you know, he, he had his po- a polo shirt on with his collar popped, right? But he had two polo shirts, and both of the collars were popped. And I thought, wow, that's real cool. So, of course, I did it, little ninth grade AJ, for my ID. And so for the rest of the year, I had two polo shirts stuck straight up. And I thought I, thought I was so cool. And, you know, there's some things that are in style. That probably never was in fashion, maybe for two weeks. And, you know, some things go out should never come back. But think about it. Think about it. Honestly, you might, say, you might look around. Seriously, just be honest. You're walking in public or... You know, you're just on social media. Maybe you're connecting with friends and family, just having, you know, enjoying life, connecting people, sharing, posting things, scrolling on your phone, email, turn on the TV, YouTube ads, something. There is, an, there is an extreme increase of immodesty in culture. Why is that? Demonic influence. See, there is a spiritual wor- world of angels and devils. And they are working on minds of people. And when you engage in intercessory prayer, you are actually taking up the fight on behalf of someone else warring with those demonic spirits that would try to manipulate and harm people. You're standing in the gap. You're doing what they're not doing for themselves on their behalf so that they can have a little bit more time to turn, repent, and get right with God, increase themselves. And then sometimes it's not always a turn and repent situation. There may be a believer that's embattled and there's demonic power coming against them and they're praying, they're standing in faith and the Spirit of the Lord would instruct you to join in agreement with them. You may not even know it because you do it through the language of the Spirit of God, Romans chapter 8, 26, praying through the Holy Spirit. You don't know in your mind, but you know when the Holy Spirit's praying through you, it's a perfect prayer. So now you've come together in agreement with someone to stand against this demonic attack. And what God desires is fruit. He desires. And so that Mark chapter 5, what I'm finishing up is this, on soul winning and testimony. That man wants to come with Jesus. Jesus says, no, because here's the thing. Jesus wants to minister to the whole region where that man lives. They all run him off because all those devils jump into a bunch of pigs. Those pigs, rather than being devil-possessed, would rather kill themselves, run off into the water. And then those guys that lose all their pig farming business are upset because when you mess with people's money, people get upset. When you mess with wicked people's money, they get upset. When people are selling kids and you want them to stop selling kids to be abused, 
You might wake up the next day, you know, unlived, unliving. You know, he committed suicide. How did he do it? Well, he was in a maximum security prison, and all the cameras accidentally went off. We don't know how he did it. And the guards that were there we hired two weeks ago. That's a conspiracy theory. Problem is, my conspiracy theories keep coming true. So you mess with people's money. They say, you know what? We'd rather, then rather you bring salvation, we'd rather you just leave. And they tell Jesus, just leave. But Jesus has got a man on the inside. And Jesus tells that man, go back and tell your friends and family what the Lord's done for you. That's what soul winning is. It's that simple. You just tell people what Jesus has done for you. Look, I know, how, I know what you're feeling. I know what you're going through. I've been there. Let me share, you, share with you. This is what I was living in. This is where I was at. This is what was, had a hold of me. And then I met Jesus. And he can do the same for you. So that's one side is that. That's preaching. Sometimes we hear that word preaching and we think, oh, that's big and lofty. It's simply just telling people about the power of Jesus, how he can set you free. And then there's the prayer side. Turn with me to Exodus 32. Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32. God wants fruit. And the fruit he desires in his earth is people being saved and made into strong disciples. And I want you to see this powerful, powerful example of Exodus 32. I'm going to do something just a little bit different than I normally do sometimes on Sunday mornings. Lots of times when we're preaching on a topic, uh, we will just, uh, I say different, but I've done this several times. We're going to work through this chapter, Exodus 32, and we're just going to hit points through it that I want you to see. And what we're also going to do, we're going to be very engaged today. Who's going to be very engaged today in Jesus' name? We're also going to be led by the Spirit to pray. That way, it's not just you sitting here listening to me, but rather all of us hearing the word of the Lord and taking action on it. That's when things change when we take action on the word of the Lord. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. Exodus 32, verse 1. They give you context. The people of Israel have been delivered out of Egypt. They have went through the Red Sea. God took what was in front of them, the Red Sea, which seemed like an obstacle, split it, they walked through on dry land, and then used what was an obstacle to Israel as a weapon against the enemies of Israel, destroys Egypt. They go into the wilderness a little bit. They've already won a few battles. Exodus 17, that's where we discover that God is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord God, our banner or our victory. And so here we are getting prepared to go into the promised land. There's always a preparation to enter into the promise. Amen. There's always preparation to enter into the promise. Exodus 32, verse 1, we pick up, Moses has went to the top of the mountain with the Lord to get the Ten Commandments. Verse 1, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Pause. He's been gone about 38 days. He's up there for 40 days total. This is probably like day 38, 39, based on what you can see in this chapter. How quickly, how quickly the people of Israel reverted right back to the gods of Egypt. Israel had physically came out of Egypt, but Egypt had not spiritually came out of them. There has to be a separation from the world. As long as you keep one foot in the old life and one foot trying to be in the new life, you're going to have a war on the inside. 
And the moment there's a little bit of a delay, what's probably going to happen is you're going to be pulled back to the old self-life. You have to come to a term and say, it's over. The world and me are enemies, and I'm not going back. And here they are, 38 days, 39 days. You know, I mean, that's not that long. Barely over a month. I mean, just a little bit over a month. We don't know what happened to this Moses. Yeah, I mean, he, he brought out 10 plagues in Egypt. He split the Red Sea, but we ain't seen him in a while. So let's make us some gods. Verse 2, Aaron said to them, Break off the gold earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is our God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is the feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. What you see here is you see people that are so... People of God, people of the covenant, people who have seen the mighty outstretched arm of God deliver them from 400 years of slavery. They are so sense-focused. They believe so strongly what their eyes see that they have fallen into sin. What's interesting here, and I didn't see it until I just read it, but the Spirit of the Lord remind me, when you go back to one of those, those, during those series of plagues, before the tenth plague, where the firstborn of every Egyptian son is, t- not just Egyptian, the firstborn of any son in any house that doesn't have the blood applied, meaning that even Israelites could have had their first son taken away from them if the blood wasn't applied. But when you apply the blood to the doorpost, the destroyer passes on. When you apply the blood of Jesus over your heart and over your family, over this church, the destroyer has to pass on. But notice this, they take these earrings out. Where did they get these earrings from? The people of Egypt, the Egyptians. Because right before that night when they're getting ready to leave, God says, look, the Egyptians are so fearful of you, go and knock on their doors and say, hey, you got any jewelry that we can have? And they're going to give it to you. They didn't just leave Egypt. God delivered them in every way. When the Israelites left, they were delivered and they went in the strength of God. Healing came. Provision came. When they left Egypt, they took with them full health in their body, pockets full of gold and silver, and the leading of the Lord into the promised land. And how quickly they took what God had given them to serve false gods. Always keep your heart guarded so that whatever God gives you, you'll never give it in service of another God. Raise your hand and begin to pray before the Lord. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, open the eyes of our heart, Lord. Open the eyes of the hearts of the believers in this church, in this county, in this nation, that we might know what is true, that we would walk by faith and not by sight, Lord, so that we would not quickly fall away in Jesus' name. They quickly fail. Verse 7, look at this, 32 verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, now notice this. The people, they're down there worshiping these false gods. Very, very politely, your Bible says, they rose up to play. Harlotry, mass harlotry. It's extremely, 
eye-opening when you just begin to do a little bit of studying. Anytime there is worship of false gods, there's exchange of money, greed. Anytime there's worship of false gods, there's also an exchange of bodies, prostitution. It's interesting, much of the worship that took place in this day, the men and women, they would dress themselves as the other sex in these acts of prostitution in worshiping their God. All sin is a form of worship to the devil. Do not worship him in Jesus' name. Verse 7, notice this. The Lord said to Moses, they're up on the mountain. Notice this. This is just like your prayer closet. Something's taking place over here, but Moses is with God. Don't be surprised and keep your heart and your mind open when you're praying to God and be at liberty to hear from Him to pray about something else going on down the mountain. That's what's taking place. The Lord said to Moses, go get down. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've defiled themselves. They were clean and now they're dirty. God cleansed them and they made themselves dirty again. And, and God is saying to Moses, go get down. Somebody say, go get down. Go get down. For, and, this, and this is why I think why the Lord led me to lead, uh, speak on this. Because when I was preaching two weeks ago about this intercessory, I, I made this point. Constantly, Moses and God are going back and forth. Moses says to the Lord, they're your people. God says, they're your people. It's like, you know, they're like orphans going back and forth. They don't know who, who's who. But it, Moses, the Lord says to Moses, go down. For your people. Notice that though. There's power in that. There are people that God, that God has given you and you're responsible to pray for them. Say my people. I've got my people that I need to pray for. Well, who's my people? Well, naturally, it would be anybody that you're connected with with your family. Absolutely. And the prayer guide, the one-hour prayer guide, that yellow sheet that's on the right-hand side when you leave the sanctuary where there's several handouts that pastor made years ago. There's a section in there, 1 Timothy 5, 8, which actually talks more so about children taking care of their parents in the elder age, but the principle is there. You should take care of your family. How many believe you should take care of your family? And that's not just naturally. If I go to work for my family, surely to God I can pray for my family and understand there's more power in the prayer than there is the work. Now, I'm not going to not go work, but I'm going to do both. Somebody say do both. So I've got my people I need to pray about. You've got your people. Now notice this, verse 8. They turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They had a command, but it didn't get heart level. It got ear level. And when commands get ear level, you quickly turn. You know, I mean, I, I guess we, you know, obviously we've, I was going to say, I guess we've all been children, but technically every one of us has been a child unless you got beamed in from another planet. By your actions, we think that sometimes. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we've all been children. And, you know, oftentimes with children, that's the thing you have to work with. You have to constantly remind and sometimes motivate with a little pat on the rear end where God made it a little extra padded. Because sometimes the commands get here, but they don't get down here. And until they get down here, it doesn't change what we say, what we think, what we do. They quickly turned. They've made themselves a molded calf. They've worshipped it, sacrificed to it, and said, This is our God, O Israel, that you brought you out of the land of Egypt. Look at that. The Lord 
is showing Moses what is taking place in another place than where he is at that moment. What is that other than a word of knowledge in today's era of the Holy Spirit? Moses is getting information from God about a situation that he does not know of by hearing, seeing, taste, touch, feeling. He's not there, but by the power of God, he knows what's going on. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, there's many things God the Holy Spirit does in your life. And one of those is he will give you knowledge of things that are going on that you've yet to see or experience. And it's always for the purpose of bringing about redemption. God never reveals something that he does not also and is ready to redeem. It's very interesting that God never reveals anything. You know, when Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well, he says, go and get your husband. She says, I ain't got one. He said, you said pretty well you ain't got one. Because the first, I don't know, is it four or five you've went through and the guy you with now you ain't married to. But he didn't just reveal it to beat her up. He brought salvation to her. Anytime the Holy Spirit touches something in someone's heart that shouldn't be there, it's not just to beat somebody up. It's not to condemn, but rather to convict. Thank God for conviction. You know, sometimes people get that messed up. But conviction brings about salvation. Condemnation, you have no hope. But conviction brings about salvation and it brings about change. Thank God for conviction. And the Lord's showing Moses. He's showing him right here. He's showing him what to do. Verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and indeed they're a stiff-necked people. They're stubborn. Somebody say, Lord, keep my heart soft. May I never be stiff-necked, but may I quickly obey in Jesus' name. Verse 10, now therefore, this is God still speaking, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I'll make you a great nation. Some might say, well, God is loving. He is. And in order for God to be loving, he must also be just. We can think about this naturally. It is not loving to enable someone who is hurting themselves, is it? Well, I love them too much. You have to love them enough to not help them hurt themselves. I'm not going to participate in your destruction. That's how much I love you. You don't love me. No, I do. And I pray to God you're going to turn, you're going to change, you're going to see that. I do love you. But I'm not going to participate in your destruction. God is loving, but he's also righteous and he's also just. And both of those things are completely, totally true. If one is not true, the other is not. If God is not just, if he's not holy, he's definitely not loving. Because when God's just and holy, he doesn't play favorites. He's not a respecter of persons. He receives all that repent. He receives all that turn to him. He receives all that have faith in him. He's not picking and choosing. But notice here, when God says this, he ain't just mad. He's being just. He's in a place where I'm done. I hope you understand, I'm thankful at this point in my life to have been in the house of God. 
among the people of God, and I'm thankful to have seen so many workings of the Holy Spirit and, and, and seen mighty miracles. I mean, I love being in that place where I see miracles take place. I'm talking about, I'm talking about Bible miracles. Blind eyes opening, deaf ears opening up. I mean, I mean, I'm talking about people getting out of wheelchairs, seeing those things. But I hope you understand, the more you see, the more you know, the more responsible you are to God. Because you can't claim ignorance any longer. The people of Israel can't claim ignorance. I'm talking just weeks ago. They saw the plagues come against Egypt to deliver them. Just weeks ago, they see a sea split and congeal straight up and create a hallway to walk through. And then turn around and see the sea fall down on the Egyptian army. They won a war with a nation and they didn't swing one sword. And then within 38, 39 days of Moses, the man of God being on the mountain, they're already worshiping false gods. Let me tell you something. And I, want, I, I, I don't want to be a quote-unquote bear of bad news, but I'm, I, I, would be, I would be worthless as a minister of the gospel if I did not say this. Our nation has been the gospel light of the world for 150, 200 plus years. And the sins that our nation is playing with you see that sins, the nation is engulfing themselves in, and then you add to it the abundance of the preaching of the gospel that has been loosed in this nation, and it makes us of greater responsibility to God for what we've been given. This is why you can't, uh, we're in the last day, we can't play. I'm not suggesting we are, but we can throw off any idea that. I love you. You know, you, you know I love you, don't you? That was three of you. I love the rest of you that didn't say anything either. I love you. Let me just say something real plain. I have voted in every election since I was 18. Laura and I, we went and absentee voted because when we were going to have the vote, uh, we decided to get married. And the United States of America didn't want to you know, observe our marriage day and move the day you vote uh, for our honeymoon, rather. And so I was in Epcot when we were supposed to be voting. So we absentee vote. I mean, I voted in every election, state, local, state, federal, every primary. If there was a dog catcher running for election, I would be there to vote. I vote. Men have shed their, their blood on foreign battlefields so I can have liberty. And one of those gifts that they have provided is that I have the freedom to vote. I don't take it lightly. I am not waiting for any elected official to turn my nation around. It ain't going to happen. Trusting in man will disappoint you every time. So it sounds like, you sounds like y'all in the same boat that I am. We're going to do what we're going to do naturally. We're going to do what we're going to do naturally. It's like going to work. Saving and investing, paying down debt if you got it, you know, building up cash, debt going down, cash going up, being strong financial house, believing God, taking action on the word, 
giving, tithing, doing everything he says concerning money, keeping it in the right place in your mind. But you also know on the other side, when they print trillions of dollars, you got to realize, I can't just work overtime and make up for the fact that they, you know, ran inflation out of the, out of the wazoo and all this craziness. I can't just, re- you know, you understand what I'm saying? There has to be something more than just a natural effort. And so you, you, have, you realize that America is in this situation and there is a, there's a crossing point. And, and you say, well, I'm believing for revival. Count me in. Before every revival precedes, before any revival takes place anywhere in a church, in a state, a nation, before revival ever, I'm talking about real city-changing, nation-changing revival. I'm talking about the great awakening that took place in the 1760s and then the 1840s, the first and second great awakening. I'm talking about where it shifts cultures. Before that ever takes place in the lives of people, there are Christians who pay the cost for that revival through intercessory prayer. Before that ever shakes a nation, there are people who say, I love my people. Go down and get your people. I love my people, my nation. I love my church. I love my church family. I love these people so much. They don't see it. They won't hear it. But we're all going to see the answer to my prayer come to pass. And I'm willing to give hours and my energy and my time and my prayer closet before God to pray for them. Now notice what takes place here. Verse 11. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord... Why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Verse 12, why should the Egyptians speak and say, He brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath. King James says repent. New King James says relent from this harm to your people. Verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land I have spoken of, I give to your descendants, and you shall inherit it forever. Remember when we were looking, God, notice this, I want you to say this out loud, God sent a man. Now, if you're a woman, he'll send a woman. But notice here in this altar, in this interaction with God and Moses, The Lord shows Moses what's going on. God says, this is what I'm going to do. And he says, you better get down there. And he sent a man. Well, we saw that a few weeks ago in Ezekiel. It tells us, 22 verse 30, and I sought for a man among them. I'm looking for at least one person among these people that will stand up, that that should make up the hedge. Remember, that was Satan's big beef with God every time God bragged on Job. Alara was listening to her Bible, and she's in Job this morning. And so I'm shaving, and I hear Job talking in the bedroom when I'm shaving, you know, in the bathroom. She's listening to Job, working her way through it. Every, but that's, that's, what, that's what Satan didn't like. Satan told God, he said, well, of course Job loves you. And of course he's great. And of course he's blessed. You've got a hedge around him. Notice Ezekiel twenty two thirty. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge. 
and stand in the gap before me, God, for the land. God, the people, the land, the intercessor. In between, making a wall, making a hedge, standing in the gap. That I should not destroy them. In Ezekiel's day, he found none. It's the same situation here. God has said, I'm going to bring judgment against Israel. And, and, and as he's saying that, he's telling Moses, you better get down there. He's sending someone. He said, this is what I'm going to do. Because of their sin, I'm going to bring righteous judgment. Moses, you better get on down. And what does Moses start doing? He pleads with the Lord. He, he, he begins to pray, to travail, grieve. You know, intercessory prayer is a burdensome thing, not in a negative way, but it's a thing where you, you take on yourself with someone else, their situation they're in. And, you, and Daniel did it in his day. Daniel, a righteous man, he literally saw the ends of the earth, the age. He saw what would come. He saw into the throne room of God. He saw this by the vision uh, of the Holy Spirit. He, he saw the things that were to come. And even some things that he was not lawfully allowed to say had to seal them up, but he saw them. And when he prays to God, he said, Lord, forgive us for our sins. Because the intercessor, though he, effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, though the intercessor is right in right standing with God, the intercessor identifies with the people or person they're praying with and say, Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on my nation. Lord, forgive us of our sins, God. Lord, give us a little bit more time that people could be continually convicted and come to repentance. And, and Moses is standing in the gap. He's pleading here with the Lord. And he, he mentions a couple things. Why are you turning angry toward us? And first, the first thing Moses says, he says, Lord, he, he begins to petition the Lord on behalf of God's honor. You know, when you love God, you're going to stick up for him. And that's what Moses is saying. Lord, I don't want you to destroy your people, which you should because of righteousness. Uh, you're, you're right in doing so, but I don't want nations around us to defame your name. Because all they're going to say is, well, that, so what for Israel's God? He couldn't do it. He didn't have enough, to, enough power to bring them to the promised land like he said he would. Now, that's interesting. But what changes the heart of the Lord? Verse 13. Somebody say, remember. We're coming to a close. Don't worry, I got, I'm taking all of you out for lunch today. So stick with me here. Verse 13, remember, remember the covenant. Remember your word. Remember how we started off this service? The Lord hears his will. His will is his word. When his word abides in me and I abide in him, I can ask what I desire. He'll give it to me so that I can bear much fruit. He's patient. He's waiting for fruit in the earth. Verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Remember your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I'll multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I've spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit forever. Remember your word, Lord. When you're praying, whether it be for yourself or what we're talking about, interceding for someone else, you bring the Word of God before the Lord. Well, because He's forgetful, 
That's the only grounds I have to stand before God. In the blood of Christ, you and I, we've been redeemed and cleansed and we can enter in. But the means and the grounds by which I can do business with God is, Lord, this is what you've promised. This is what you've said. This is your word. And I'm believing and I have faith and I'm standing in agreement with your word, Lord. Lord, let's see your will come to pass in this situation. Verse 14, so the Lord, King James says, repented. New King James says, relented. NLT says, he became sorrowful. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. That messes with people's theology, their understanding of God. God repented. It's interesting. You look at it, you'll, you'll see it many different times. But in the days of Nineveh, God turned from the judgment that was going to come on Nineveh. He turned from the judgment that was going to come on Nineveh. When Jonah preached the word of the Lord and the Ninevites repented, God said, I see their hearts change, so now my judgment will change. I was going to destroy, but they've repented, so now I will not. You see it with King David in 2 Samuel 24. When David is influenced by Satan to sin and number the mighty men of Israel, the warring people of Israel, up to that point... You were never to take account of your soldiers because God didn't want the kings of Israel having faith in their army but in God. And one way you don't have faith in your army is you don't know. When you go before the Edomites or you go before the Philistines, well, they got 100,000 men in their army. How many we got? I don't know. God won't let us count. But we're going to trust God. David was influenced by Satan. He numbers the army, and then God brings judgment. And God gives them three choices. I think it's three years of war, three years of famine, or three days under the sword of the Lord. And what does David do? He says, I'm going to pick the sword of the Lord because surely God is more merciful. Well, how does he know that? Psalms 145.8, the Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, great in mercy. The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all his works. Micah 7.18, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. See, God changed his judgment, but that didn't mean God himself changed. Moses brought about his word to God and says, Lord, don't bring judgment yet because you've said you're going to establish this people in the promised land. And he's working with the Lord. All right, as we finish up here, if you would please jump with me to verse 29. So essentially here, what takes place, Moses goes down. It's interesting. What Moses knew by inspiration of the Lord, when he sees it with his own eyes, he gets mad. God was angry because God can see it with his own eyes. Moses got it by inspiration. But when Moses saw it with his own eyes, he gets mad. He destroys the Ten Commandments that were given to him. Imagine, you know, you break something and it's an accident. But imagine breaking something God wrote. He broke it. He smashed it. He didn't even take it off the mountain. He got to the foot of the mountain because it's holy. He smashes it. Then he goes up to this golden calf. He sees it. He sees all this wickedness going on. He tells Aaron, he said, what in the world are you doing? He said, nah, I don't know, Moses. You know, all these people. You know how they, the people, oh, you know the people. He was, a, he, was a, he was fearful of men. Aaron was fearful of men. If you're fearful of man, you won't walk in the fear of the Lord. But when you walk in the fear of the Lord... You won't fear man. 
And Aaron bowed down to man when he should have bowed down to God. And he tells Moses, I don't know, but you know these people. <laughs> you know these people. Moses has been praying and fasting for 40 days on a mountain for these people, contending for these people. And Aaron's going to blip the blame on these people. Moses is upset. And Aaron says, they just gave me all their jewelry. We threw it in the fire and out came this calf. Lying dog. But that's what he said. Moses said, all right, good. Takes that calf, beats it out real thin, breaks it up, turns it into dust, makes them drink it. You want a calf to worship? You can worship it in your belly. Can you imagine the constipation that came on the people of Israel? <laughs> Drinking gold dust. That's not very nice. Better than getting consumed by the wrath of God. And even then, 3,000 men fell. You might say, well, now wait a minute. Moses stood in the gap. Why did that happen? Let's just be real. We kind of live in the, in the day and age we live in 2023. Society's soft. And sometimes we overlook realities. You know, simple things like people think food comes from grocery stores rather than farmers. I mean, like, it's that we don't really understand how life works sometimes. But the reality is this. It is far better. In terms of nations, it is far better for a few to be judged rather than an entire nation. And these three... Because I know God's righteous. And I know if these three men fell by the sword of the Levites... And you can go and read this. This will be your homework. Read through verses 15 through 28. You can see this. But if these Levites that showed themselves faithful to God struck down these 3,000 men, I knew it was under the righteousness of God. And it would be far better for 3,000 to be struck down than 3 million. Verse 29, then the Lord said, Consecrate. Someone say, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow you on a blessing this day. For every man has opposed his son and his brother. Speaking of these Levites who took up the sword of the Lord, Moses is saying, you set yourself apart for God and he'll bless you. I want to encourage you today, when you set yourself apart for God to intercede and to pray and to supplicate and to stand in the gap for other people, there'll be a blessing that comes on your life. Anytime you set yourself and say, Lord, you know what? Lord, I may not be perfect in every way. I believe you're perfecting me, Lord, and I know i got shortcomings, and you're going to keep working on them. It, where I fall short, I thank you for your grace and your power that's going to lead me through that and continue to conform me and transform me into your image, Lord. But if there's anything that I can do, I want you to know that I'm here and I'm available. I want you to know, Lord, that, you know, I'll talk to the Lord like this. Lord, I want you to know that I'm your boy. You want something done? I'm your boy. Call me. Maybe I ain't ready yet. Maybe you're going to keep, maybe you're gonna have to keep refining me before I can get in a place of responsibility. But I want you to know, Lord, if you need somebody, I'm here. That's what consecration is. It's a level of devotion. It's saying, Lord, you need someone to serve? Here I am. Here I am. Here I am. Verse 30. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You've committed a great sin. So now I'll go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement. Someone say atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. In other words, God, exactly what you said they did. Verse 32. Notice this. This is the heart. This is the heart you have to have 
to actually spend time praying for other people. Not just a casual thing, drop in and out, but actually commit yourself to pray for the people of God and pray for lost people to be saved. This is the heart you have to have. Verse 32. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you've written. Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 9. Verse 3, he said, For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh. Now, God goes to tell him, says, Look, I'm just. I will judge those who need to be judged. I'll have mercy on those. In other places, I'll show mercy to those who deserve mercy, judgment to those who deserve judgment. But in verse 34, he says, I'm going to bring punishment to the people who sin, who did the sinning. But notice the heart that is necessary. It's the same heart of Jesus. Lord, I'm asking for mercy on behalf of this person or these people. And if you won't show them mercy, don't show me mercy either. That's the, that's the desire. That's the fervent, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. Pray for one another. That's the, that's the place where you get in, where you labor on behalf of someone else. And you say, Lord, count me in with them. They're not praying like they should, but I'm here. Spare, give mercy. And what takes place in verse 34? Now, therefore, go lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for the sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. We don't know exactly when, how that happened. It's not explicitly told. There was a judgment that took place. But we know this. Moses got his answer. Because God says... Continue on. He was going to wipe out the entire nation. And when Moses gets done laboring with God in intercessory prayer, God says, go ahead. I'm sending you forth to the promised land. And the angel of the Lord is going to lead you. You read chapter 33, Moses continues to intercede again. And he actually says, we don't want just your angel, Lord. We want your presence. And then that's when he says, look, I'd rather stay in this wilderness and be with you, then go into the promised land and not have you. He continues to intercede. He continues to stand in the gap. Tell you what, as we prepare our hearts to go out and uh, go fellowship, it's going to be a great time of fellowship and eating. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come before you and we bless your holy name, Lord. Lord, what a privilege it is, Father God. What a, what a privilege we count it, Lord God, to labor with you, Lord, to work with you, God. To pray your will. To pray your will in the earth, Lord God. Lord, in your power, in your might, in your wisdom, you have said, I will work with man. I'll work with my man. I'll work with Christ Jesus and his body, the church. You said you would work with us, Lord. We count that a privilege to pray your will and see fruit, God. That's our desire. Our desire is to see people saved and to see them made into disciples. And our desire is to see disciples, people that are saved in the church, become stronger disciples so that none might fall away, but that we would all be presented before you, established in holiness, unblaming at the coming of the Lord. That's our desire, Lord. Our desire is your desire. Why don't you pray this prayer with us? Say, Father, may I never... Take for granted your mercy, 
your loving kindness. May I have a burden of prayer for my family, for my children, for my co-workers, for my church family, for my city, for this nation, for people I don't know and maybe never meet. May I have a burden, true compassion that stirs me to action like Jesus so that others might feel and see the answer of prayer, salvation in their household, strength in their bodies, wisdom in their walk, and full restoration and redemption. In Jesus' name, if you're here today with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you need to make things right with God, the Bible says God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And we receive that peace through the blood of Christ by believing in our heart Jesus is the risen Son of God, confessing with our mouth Jesus is Lord. If you're here today and you need to do that, or you're watching by way of the live stream or replay and you need to do that, I want you to pray with us. We're going to pray together as a church family and pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the blood the blood of Christ that was shed for my sin. I believe Jesus is the risen Son of God. I say with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And I'll live for Him all the days of my life. Pray this. Say, Father, by the Spirit, I'm going to run and not grow weary. I'm going to walk and not grow faint. I will persevere with patience and see Your glory. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this faith-filled message. Please connect with us at our website, gospeltabernaclechurch.com, so we can continue to be a part of your faith walk. And if you're listening today and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, now is the time to do that. Now, today, is the day of salvation. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Father, I believe you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins on the cross and you have raised him from the dead that I might be alive in him. Jesus, I confess you are Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, welcome. You're now in the family of God. You're a child of God. Connect with us. Let us know if you prayed that prayer. We want to be right there alongside you as you walk out this journey of faith in Christ. God bless you.